Well, it is good to have you in worship with us today. Uh, if you weren't with us last week and you didn't have an opportunity to pick up our For You journals that we provided for you, um, they're available out in the connecting place. Uh, for those of you uh, who are not university students, they are $2 a piece. If you're a university student at any of the colleges in the area, or I don't know, if you're remotely in the University of Phoenix online, whatever, if you've got a student ID, um, the, the those journals are a gift for my wife Becky and I to you, um, and so we want to encourage you to pick one up, uh, university students, if you're here with us today. There is brunch after the service out in the Life Center, as the fellow said, uh, but I will say to you, if you're here uh, for students, if your parents came for Little Sibs weekend, make them take you to lunch. Okay, no, no, seriously, uh, your, your parents, you're welcome as well out there. We're in the middle of a series called For You. Um, a series based on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we're learning some things about the Sermon on the Mount because for so many years, uh, we, we thought that the Sermon on the Mount was this uh, code of ethics, if you would, or this code of conduct. And this is the way Christians have to be. And as one author I was reading not long ago said, I always looked at the Beatitudes like it was for the Marine Corps of the Christian church. I mean, the very best of the best of the best. They're the ones who, who can live with these Beatitudes in their life. But when you read the context, when you see the place and the setting in which Jesus was sharing the Sermon on the Mount, you discover something. This isn't a code of conduct. It isn't a set of rules and regulations. It's not, a, it's not an entryway into the kingdom in terms of, well, you've got to do these things to be in the kingdom of God. No, it's a declaration. It's a grand invitation. Jesus is giving an invitation to the thousands of people who were on the mountainside and to us of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven as the people of God. And what we're discovering along the way is that being blessed is not about your circumstances. It's about the presence of Jesus in your life. And what we're discovering is that our attitudes are just as impactful as our actions and then last week, we learned that, that, quite honestly, people don't exist for our own gratification. Uh, people are children of God. And so we don't manipulate others in order to gratify our own needs. Instead, we value others as children of God. And as Jesus is teaching this group of people and us 2,000 years later, he, he's, he's using a phrase. I love this phrase. He says, you have heard it said... But I say to you, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing these things that, that are so central to the way we live. And today, today we're going to read something he says that if we, if we pull it out of the context, we miss the very essence of who Jesus was. Listen as I read for you. It'll be on the screens, or if you've got a Bible, or, or you have the Bible on your, your, uh, your electronic device, your, your digital device, feel free to follow along there. But I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 33. Listen to what he says. Jesus speaking. And again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. What, what in the world is Jesus talking about? He's been addressing these, these things we mentioned a moment ago, and, and now suddenly in the midst of it, he says, and by the way, you've heard it said, don't, you know, when you swear by something, then don't break your oath. And, but I'm gonna tell you, don't make an oath. What in the world is he trying to get across? I would suggest to you that in the context of Jesus' life, what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount here has to do with truth, honesty, and integrity. Now, the reason I would say that to you is because at the high point of Jesus' life, at the crux of his whole mission here, was this time as he's headed to the cross, when he's been arrested, beaten, wrongly accused by the Jewish leadership, and he, he's now in front of Pilate. You, you'll find the story in the Gospel of John. And, and in that story, what Jesus is encountering from Pilate is that, is that he's been found innocent by Pilate. Pilate's looked at him and said, you know what, there's really no reason for this man to be crucified except all these people are calling for him to be crucified, and I can find nothing in him. And in the dialogue, Pilate looks at him and says, they say you're a king. Are you really a king? And, and then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. I am, I've come so that people will know truth. And all those who pursue truth will recognize who I am. And it's in that moment that, that Pilate makes a statement. It's, a, it's, a, it's really, really a three-word declaration of the condition of the world without Jesus. Because Pilate looks at Jesus, who's just said, his whole mission is truth. His whole mission is integrity. His whole mission is honesty. Honesty about who God is, integrity in terms of who he is, and truth about what he's telling us. And Pilate looks at him and says these three words, what is truth? I'll be honest, every time I read that passage, I think of the movie A Few Good Men, where there's the guy standing in the courtroom, and he says, truth, you can't handle the truth. Well, I'll be honest with you. We're living in a world right now where people are are asking the same question Pilate was asking. Hey, Jesus, why are you here? People of God, why are you here? Followers of Jesus, why are you here? What is the truth? And I wanna, I really wanna sometimes look at people and say, truth, <laughs> you can't handle the truth. But the reality is, we're called to live by the truth. And that's why Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, that, that when you make an oath, and you make that oath on heaven or on God or whatever, you, you should keep that, all, that oath. Don't, don't swear that you're gonna do something and then turn around and do the other thing. But in the way he describes it, look, look at it again. I say to you, do not take an oath at all, okay? Either 
swearing by heaven as the authority, for that's the throne of God, or by the earth, because that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for, for that is the city of the great king. And do not even take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I would suggest to you this morning that in those, in those three statements that Jesus is making, he's letting us know something about honesty and truth and integrity. And the reason he puts this, this declaration in the middle of this teaching on the mountainside is so that you and I would understand that, that when we get it, when we live as people of God, when we live as followers of Jesus, there ought to be an integrity, there, there ought to be an honesty, there ought to be a truthfulness about the way that we live. But unfortunately, for many of us, when we, when we try to live that way, we, we place our truth, we, if you would, make our oath, resting on something that will ultimately fail us. And that's why he pulls these things out. See, the, the first thing is this integrity that's based on a religious system will ultimately fail. If your honesty, if your truthfulness, if your integrity is based on some religious system that you're trying to follow all the rules and regulations and do it to the best of your ability, it's gonna fail. It was failing the people in the first century. That's why Jesus is talking to him about it. Later on in his ministry in Matthew chapter 23, he, he says to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious establishment, he says, listen, you people make all the rules and you tell everybody what to do and then you don't lift a finger to help them with it. You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside, you stink of death. What Jesus was saying on the mountainside, what he was saying to the Pharisees and what he's saying to us is this. Hey, you're never going to find integrity in a set of rules and regulations. The apostle Paul put it like this. He said the Old Testament law existed in order to convict him of his sin. He said, because every time I try to live by the law, every time I try to do all the right things, I end up failing. And when I end up failing, I end up understanding that I just can't do it on my own. There's no system, there's no rules, there's no, no cohesive way of, of trying to put the world together that you can find in any religious system that will actually produce integrity. Only Jesus can produce integrity. You say, Pastor, what, what do you mean? Jesus was the only perfect person to ever live. And he doesn't call you to mimic his perfection. For those of you who have perfectionistic tendencies, drop it, my friend. Just drop it. Let it go. You're not going to be perfect. But understand this. The perfect one wants to live inside of you. The only person who never committed a sin, the only person who, who never, ever failed, who accomplished everything he was supposed to accomplish, who was tempted in every way as you've been tempted, who's seen all the sin you've seen, who's seen all the failure you've seen, who lived through that and conquered sin and death and hell. His name is Jesus. And he's the one who's standing on a mountainside looking at a group of people and saying, hey, listen, you're blessed because the presence of God is here. He's looking at a group of people and saying, hey, listen, your attitudes are as impactful as your actions. He's looking at that group of people and he's saying, hey, you know what? What we really need to understand here is that other people are children of God, not objects for our gratification. 
And if we can find those things out, then there's, there's one more level of this that you've got to embrace. You've got to understand that your perfectionistic tendencies, your sense of integrity through the rules and the regulations, it's not going to happen. It's only going to happen when you're honest with me, with Jesus, and honest with yourself. And like the Apostle Paul, you say, you know what? All those great things I accomplished, I count them as garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing that Jesus Christ loves me, that he cares for me. Because integrity that's based on the power of a religious system or any religious system will fail. But I also need you to know, Jesus needs you to know, that integrity that's based upon the power of you being a created person of God will also fail. Because deep inside of you, deep inside of you, there's this, there's this flawed, depraved, deprived, whatever word you wanna call it, tendency towards sin. You may look at me and say, well now, come on, pastor. You've got, a, you, you've got an 18-month granddaughter. Do, do you think that she's really got inside of her? I mean, she's so cute, y'all, okay? She does so many wonderful things. You want to tell me you think that, 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 she's, that she's really going to need a savior? <laughs> Can I tell you something? Yes, I know that to be a fact. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who was talking about uh, their granddaughter, who's three. And they were, they were saying, you know, I, I got a call from my daughter-in-law to tell me about my granddaughter. And, and she said, you're never gonna believe what happened. I said, what? Well, it was just the two of us in the house, no other people, no pets, nobody in the house, just the two of us. And I left my three-year-old daughter in the living room and I stepped into the kitchen for something and I suddenly heard a crash. And I came back into the living room and there stood my three-year-old daughter. Nobody else in the house, no pets in the house, no anything. There stood my three-year-old daughter and she is standing over a broken vase. And I looked at her and I said, did you break the vase? And the three-year-old said, the dog did it. <laughs> she said, I, I, I looked at her for a moment and then said, are you lying to me? She shook her head and said, no, the dog's lying to you. <laughs> Who taught her that? Nobody. She was just living out that innate tendency toward failure and sin that all of us are born with. And what Jesus is saying on the side of the mountain is, listen, don't, don't swear by the earth, don't swear by the creation, don't, don't swear by your, by your efforts. In fact, listen, just don't swear at all. I, I just want you, to, I want you to trust me to live inside of you. And when we understand that, when we grasp that concept, then, then here's what happens. Then we stop trying to to have integrity that's based on a religious system and we stop trying to have integrity that's based on the power of creation and, and get this, we even stop trying to have an, a, an integrity that's based on our effort and our ability. 
Because integrity that's based on our effort and our ability will also fail. He said, now, Pastor, you kind of got a negative trend going here today. Yeah, I know. But I need you to see this. I need you to see that the only way to live with integrity, the only way to live with honesty, the only way to live with truthfulness deep inside of who you are is to live with Jesus deep inside of who you are. Now, you need to understand that, that he will be patient with you. His grace, his mercy, they know no boundaries. As we sang earlier, he is good. He's really good. And he loves you. And he's for you. And one of the best ways I know to figure that out is to watch what he does with people who fail. And one of the men who was sitting on the mountainside that day, listening to Jesus say, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, was a guy named Peter. Some of you know his story. It's, it's a wonderful story told throughout all the gospels, throughout the life of the early church. But it's not the story of Peter, the powerful preacher at Pentecost. <laughs> no, no, it's the story of Peter, the disciple, the fisherman who left everything to follow Jesus, who thought out of his own abilities because he'd been raised in a religious system. He'd been raised with the power of creation. He'd been raised to do the very best that he could. Then when he went to follow Jesus, I mean, listen to the story. You remember the story? I mean, when, when, when Peter first met Jesus, Jesus had, had been teaching in his synagogue. And Peter invited him to come over to his house after synagogue for a meal. When he got to his house, Peter's mother-in-law, who was ill, was upstairs and she was supposed to fix the meal. But she hadn't been able to fix the meal because she didn't know Peter was bringing the teacher home with her to fix the meal for her. And so she looks at him and she can't fix it. And Jesus prays for her and she's healed miraculously. That's the first time Peter met Jesus. And a few days later, Jesus is teaching and thousands of people are following him and, 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 and they press in against him. And, and Peter, well, Peter's in business. He's a fisherman and he's out fishing with James and John. In fact, they're tending their nets there on the sea. They're up on the shore and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, Peter, can I, can I use your boat? And so Jesus takes Peter's boat. Peter's sitting in the boat mending the nets. They'd fished all night. They hadn't caught anything. And then what happens? As Jesus teaches all the people and, and, and heals the people and delivers the people, the power of God is present and, and things are happening. And when it's all over, he turns to, to Peter and says, hey, Peter, so do you want to go fishing? And Peter's like, well, you know, Jesus, I saw what you did to my mother-in-law and I see what you're doing to all these people. And okay, uh, you know, we didn't catch anything, but if you, you know, if you want to go fishing, I'll take you fishing. And so they put out into the water. And, and what I love about this story is that everything Jesus says is counterintuitive to everything Peter knows. Don't ever forget that. Everything Jesus says is going to be counterintuitive to everything you think you know. You think you can be truthful by your own effort. You think you can have integrity by your religious system. You think you can have honesty by being a part of the creation and just letting it all be out there. Uh, the only way you're gonna find integrity, the only way you're gonna find honesty, the only way you're gonna find truthfulness is to let Jesus be in here. And so what happens is that, is that Jesus says to Peter, well, I'll tell you what. 
put the nets down over in the deep water. <laughs> that is so counterintuitive to Peter's training as a fisherman. You don't fish in the daytime, you fish at night. You don't fish in the deep water, you fish in the shallows. And he hadn't caught anything anyway, but it's okay. So he just, okay, this teacher's, and so they put out. And, and some of you know the story, right? He puts the nets over where Jesus tells him to put the nets. The place there's not supposed to be anything. And suddenly, it's like fish are jumping into the net. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's hauling in the biggest catch of fish he's ever had in his life. In fact, it's so big, he's calling to the other boats to come out and help him with it. And as, he's, as they're pulling the fish into the boat, suddenly, it suddenly dawns on Peter, hey, this is not normal. This is not because of my effort. This is not because of anything except this Jesus guy just told me to do this. And do you remember the story? He, he literally is wrapped down, taking his outer garment off. He's pulling the face, breaking a sweat. He's working hard when it suddenly dawns on him and he stops pulling in fish and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, Jesus, you are too holy for me. You are too awesome for me. Get away from me. See, there are some of you who never get to honesty and never get to integrity and never get to truthfulness because that kind of integrity and truthfulness and honesty is so foreign to the way you live that you feel as if you just couldn't handle that. And like Peter, you're like, hey, Jesus, I, I, just step away. I, I got it. I'll do it myself. But you can't. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, listen to me. What I just did in your presence is just the beginning of what I want to do in your life. And so he, he says, leave this behind. I'll, make, I'll, I'll teach you how to fish for people. And Peter leaves everything. So do James and John. And they follow Jesus. And throughout the Gospels, we find these stories where, where Peter's the one who's saying, hey, Jesus, man, this is awesome. I mean, they're, they're the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They're closer to Jesus than anybody else. And there are these moments in time where Peter gets glimpses and Peter says what he's supposed to say. And he keeps trying harder and trying harder. Like, for instance, the, 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 the day that they're on the, the mountainside and, and Jesus is transfigured and, and Elijah and Moses show up and, and, and the three of them are there and, 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 and there's, there's Peter going, wow, we need, to build, we need to build a monument to this. And Jesus is like, no, we don't. No, we don't. Trust me, this isn't all of it. There's much more to come. Don't build the monuments. Or the days Jesus turned to the disciples and said, hey, who do people say that I am? And somebody from the back of the, of the group says, well, some say you're Elijah. Somebody else said, well, some say you're the prophet. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And it's Peter, Peter who gets it right. Peter says, hey, you are the Christ. The one Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, hey, you know what, Peter? That's exactly right. But flesh and blood didn't teach you that. Only the Spirit of God can show you who I really am. You want to be honest? You want to be truthful? You want to have integrity in your life? You got to know that. Only the Spirit of God can show you who Jesus really is. Only the Holy Spirit of God but listen to me, even when the Holy Spirit of God shows you who Jesus is, and like Peter, you, you get it right in the moment, there's another moment 
the moment when you start relying on your own abilities. For Peter, it, it happened on the night before Jesus died. They had this wonderful moment around the table celebrating Passover and Jesus reinstituting new meaning to the bread and the cup. And Jesus is telling the disciples, John records the story for us about how he's going to die the next day. And they're gonna be like sheep that have been struck when their shepherd is struck. And they're gonna scatter and run. And it's, 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 it's Peter who, out of his own love for Jesus, his own energy for Jesus, says, says to Jesus, Jesus, the rest of them may do that, but I'm never gonna do that. And Jesus says, Peter, listen to me, friend. You can't deny your own frailty. What I need you to know is, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're gonna deny that you even know who I am, not just once, but three times. Peter's like, no, sir, never. I'm not doing it. Mm -mm. Because Peter, Peter thinks Jesus has brought a new religious system. Uh, Peter thinks Jesus is, is the one who has the power over creation. I mean, after all, Peter walked on water because Jesus called him out of the boat. Peter says, you know what, when I try hard enough, I can do it. I, I got it that one, I got it right, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, no, Peter, even with all of that to your credit, you're going to deny me. A few hours later, after Peter and James and John had fallen asleep while Jesus had asked them to pray, Suddenly the guards from the temple are on him. And Peter, knowing that he promised that he would never deny Jesus, that he would always be there for Jesus, what does Peter do? He whips out a sword. And he slaps off the ear of one of the servants that we're the temple guard. And Jesus, Jesus takes, and he looks at, I think he actually like took the sword away from Peter. I mean, it doesn't tell us that in the scripture, but I think he's just like, Peter, just put the sword up here, man. No, that's not how we're doing this. And then he says to the guy, it's almost like, I look at that, he almost looks at the guy and says, I'm sorry, here, just a minute. And he picks up the ear and he puts it back on his head. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, Peter just kind of gets it wrong sometimes. Just forgive him. <laughs> and they, and they, they, they take, Jesus to Caiaphas' house. Now, Peter's business partner and friend and fellow disciple, John, well, John had enough connections in the Caiaphas' house that he's able to get into the place where Jesus is actually being tried. And he manages to get Peter inside the outer gate and into the courtyard. And, and as Peter's standing there in the courtyard, surrounded by all of these guards and all of these people, a servant girl comes up to him. And she says, hey, you're one, of, you're one of those disciples of that man that's inside. I know because you cut my cousin's ear off. And, and, and Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. And a little later on, somebody at the, at, at the fireside, where they're warming their hands, hears Peter talk and says to Peter, hey, hey, you are one of his followers. I can tell by your accent, you're from Galilee. 
See, some of you may not know what it feels like to be identified by your accent, but I've lived that way most of my life. Right? And, and Peter again, second time, says, no way! No way! I don't know who that man is in there. And then a third time, and this is why the language always gets me. The third time somebody says, no, really, we saw you. We know you're one of his disciples. And I love the way it's written in the, all the gospels. Peter swears. Peter was on the mountainside when he heard Jesus say, don't swear. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. But now he's, he's in a corner and, and he's like, no way. And he begins to swear. I never knew that man. And I love the way Luke puts it in his gospel. Because what, what Luke records for us, all the gospel writers record for us that, and the rooster crowed, and Peter heard it, and Peter wept. But you know what Luke tells us? Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed, and when Jesus wept, when, when Peter wept, Jesus Inside Caiaphas' house. Here's the rooster too. And Jesus had never, had never escaped Jesus where Peter was. And he turns and he looks at Peter. And Peter looks at him and their eyes meet. You want to talk about total abject failure? To be who you were created to be? You've just promised you would never, ever deny Jesus, and you've just done exactly what he said was going to happen. That's why this morning I want you to understand integrity that's based on anything outside of the presence of Jesus is never going to work. Truthfulness, honesty. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through, uh, through him. My, my friends, we're living in a period of history. We're living in a time frame in which the world can't figure out where truth is. And those of us who've met Jesus have encountered the ultimate truth. And what they really need to know is that God is for them and that the people of God are for them and that the people of God can be trusted and unfortunately, the people of God have been trying to do it with religious systems and human effort and the power of creation. We tried to do it with personalities and charisma. And Jesus is saying, guys, look, none of that works. So don't swear by the heavens and don't swear by the earth and don't swear by the temple and don't swear by your own head. <laughs> Instead, let me live inside of you and let your yes be yes and your no be no and the integrity that comes from me being with you will change your life forever. Because authentic integrity is based upon the presence of Jesus in our life. And I'm so glad Peter found that out. And I'm so glad his story has been written for us. Because Peter's story doesn't end in Caiaphas' courtyard. No. And Peter's story doesn't end on the first Easter when he went 
running and outran John to the tomb and found it empty and then walked and went home. Always, every Easter that blows me away when I read the story. <laughs> Peter and John, the disciples, they, they hear that Jesus is alive. Peter and John runs all this way to the temple and, and, and it says, and they went in and they saw it was empty and they walked out and it was not John and not Peter that Jesus talked to, it was Mary. <laughs> John and Peter, it says they went back home. And that night, that night, they're gathered with the other disciples in the upper room. And Jesus appears in their midst, shows them his hands and feet, lets them know he's alive. And what happens a few days later? Yeah, Peter and John go fishing. Because even though they had seen the most amazing, most miraculous event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they, they, they just couldn't handle it. And so like you and me, they, they returned to the familiar, to the religious system, to the power of creation, to their own effort and ability to be a good moral person. But while they're fishing, <laughs> John tells us the story in John chapter 21. The most amazing thing happened. This guy shows up on the seashore and he, and he yells out at them early in the morning as the sun's coming up. Did you catch any fish? You ever notice that's what everybody asks a fisherman? <laughs> Did you catch any fish? And, and they're like, no, it's been a long night. And this stranger that they don't even recognize says, hey, throw your nets over there. And they do it. And when they throw their nets over there, the fish just start jumping in the net. And these guys are pulling in the, the fish in the nets and they're working like, oh, get out. And, they, and the boat's about to sink and, and there's Peter and he's in the midst of them and suddenly, suddenly it clicks. Hey, wait a minute. I saw this before. Hey, wait a minute. I, I, I experienced this once before. And he yells to the other guys, hey, that strange dude over there, that's Jesus. jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore <laughs> and I love the way John puts it by the time Peter gets to shore Jesus has already got breakfast <laughs> he's got fish cooking on a fire coals and while they're having breakfast in the early morning hours <laughs> Jesus looks over at Peter and says Hey, Peter, do you love me more than this? Peter's like, yeah, Jesus, I do. A few minutes later. Hey, Peter, do, do you love me? <laughs> Jesus, I told you a few minutes ago, I love you. Third time, Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than all of this? Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I 
you know that I do. Can I tell you something? There's no coincidence that Jesus asked him three times. He wanted to make sure that Peter understood. You deny Jesus three times, he restores you three times. You, you, you try to do it your own way, he comes right where you are. And he says to you, do you love me? Will you let me be the integrity in your life? Quit trying to do it yourself. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Not because you are the most integrity-filled people in the world out of your own ability or your religious system or the power of creation. No, no, because I'm with you. Oh, dear friends, if there's anyone, whether you're on campus or online or you watch us later on this week on demand, I just have this conviction in my heart that if we could be people who are so filled with the presence of God that our lives are marked not by our integrity but by his integrity, then maybe, just maybe, some of the hatred and the bitterness and the devastation in the world turned into peace would be turned into a recognition of the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus because there's nothing you can do that stops Jesus from loving you except one thing there's only one unforgivable sin in all of scripture's teaching do you know what it is the only unforgivable sin is being unwilling to be forgiven Jesus isn't going to kick the door down to you. He's waiting for you. He's coming into your life. And right into your life, he's asking you, will you let me fill you with my presence? An authentic kind of integrity. And so this morning, we're going to take a few minutes a little differently than we normally do. As we were planning the service, Josh and Sarah and I were just like, you know what, we really just need to spend some time, Pastor Jason, with you, those of you who are online. We were just like, you know what, today we, we, we need to drop the pretense. We need to drop the religiosity. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And let the presence of God fill our hearts. There's an old, old song of the church that basically makes a request. Hey, Jesus, would you be my vision of what life is really like? And so in these next few minutes, I'm going to ask you, those of you on campus, would you stand with me? Those of you who are online, or even if you're watching with us later on this week on demand, I, I wanna ask you to spend these next few moments opening your heart to what Jesus wants to say to you. If you've been in the courtyard denying him, come to the seashore. If you've been running away from him, just stop right where you are. And in these next few moments, allow him to place his 
spirit, his integrity, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness inside you. For those of you on campus, there are, there are sacred places. There are altars at the back of the room and over to each side of our platform. And if you just need a spot, a space where you can listen to Jesus, where you can talk to Jesus, maybe where you and a friend can just kneel together and pray, then that's what those are there for. But whatever posture of prayer you take today, you may just want to turn and kneel at the seat where you're sitting. I, I don't, you may want to stand with your arms outreach to heaven. I don't know what your posture of prayer is. But what I know is Jesus is here. And he wants to be the vision for your life today and forever.